Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Garen and Jordan coming back to you again on October 2nd talking about Garen's message yesterday on Nehemiah 4. And before we even get into the text or anything, Garen, I just wanted to encourage you and tell you, because I don't know how much of a sense of this you get from the stage, but this was really needed and it was felt by people. And one person even told me that they stayed to listen to it again, second service, because it was just what their soul needed. So Mm. I think Nehemiah 4 is something that, believers need. And, yes. And maybe we don't realize we need it until we hear it. But uh, the content yesterday was great. And the way that you brought it to us and and just explained it to us was so needed. And so thanks for- Yeah. And don't you text. think that's probably why God through Nehemiah put that even in there is because we all need to know that, that even doesn't matter what the good work is, that there's going to be opposition. Yeah. So yay to God for that. And even what's coming up this coming week, I feel like, wow, he, God really thought all this through. So, yeah. He did think all this through, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He's kind of. It's almost like he had a plan. It's almost like he's omniscient and he's, yeah, he's got a plan and (laughs) he's creative and. Almost as if. (laughs) So yeah, Nehemiah 4 and really chapter 4 verse 1 sets the tone with this because it just gets right into it. And it's just Sanballat making trouble for the Jewish people who are trying to rebuild the wall. And that's just what happens. This whole chapter is just opposition after opposition and scheme and after scheme coming against Nehemiah and God's people. And it's just, how does Nehemiah respond to it? And then how does he rally the troops? And what's the new norm that they settle on afterwards? So you took us through that well. Um, I think you started off again, just with this other reminder that Satan is the ultimate enemy. Yeah. That he, his name is the adversary, right? The enemy. And so whenever we have issues with people, whenever there's ones who will come against us or put roadblocks up, it is so easy in our flesh to see them as the enemy yes. and to demonize yes, them to demonize and them. hate them. And then they're, they're, they're the ones I want to get rid of yeah. or attack yeah, right. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And which plays into his plan perfectly because he wants that it's yes. like an, an added bonus. Yes. But in reality, yep. The enemy is behind all that stuff, right? Yeah. That we have no war with flesh, yes, but only with principalities, with spirit. So good. You set us off on the right foot. You got us going in the right direction to begin. And then we kind of jumped into it here. So you talked about um, the two real tactics of the enemy are to ridicule and then to attack or to yeah, threaten threat us. and attack. Mm-hmm. And so what they're after there, what the enemy wants is for us to have our hope destroyed, to have like total discouragement going on in our hearts. And then also for us to just be straight up fearful. Yep. And if the enemy can get us in a place where we're discouraged and we're fearful or even one of one of those that they have accomplished their goal. And so often we will take our eyes off of the prize. We'll take yep. our eyes off God. And, uh, and he's done what he's wanted us to do. And our eyes off what's important. That's all he can do, right? Yep. Um, and you, we're neutralized and that's what he wants. 
and we're neutralized. We're out of the game. You talked about being in the game yesterday. So you, you mentioned both of these and the one that really grabbed my heart. I don't know who else is out there that will resonate with this as well, but the, uh, the ridicule side, Mm. because you were talking so much Mm -hmm. about how that's the language of the enemy. In fact, that Thomas Carlyle quote, that ridicule is the language of the devil. That really struck me. And it made me think about the fact that sometimes ridicule is my language. Mm. Like it's really easy for me. I'm not like striking fear into people really, but like, it's really easy for me to just ridicule or mock things or- Mm -hmm. Sarcasm. Yes. Too strong. Right. And so that's my negative side Mm. that I think if I don't look myself in the mirror often, I can be just like the enemy in that. And I can be an agent for him in that. Yeah. And so- Wow, that's a good thought. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else was like that, but for me- I know that really, yeah. that really kind of well, struck me. Yeah, so good. that's a good mirror for us, how even we can become an instrument of him to bring discouragement to people. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I had, yeah, my main thought was more about the enemy out there. Right. But you're right. We can also, we can also run in these kinds of things with people. I don't see a lot of church people wielding fear as a weapon. <laughs> you know, nobody's like trying to bully us into anything. Yeah. Right, um, not many. Yeah, most it would be, yeah, in the body. The other side. To kind of just like... It's the little jabs. And even if it's not a, an overt ridicule of like, ha ha, I can't believe how dumb that is. But just like the little comments or yeah, things or right. passive aggressive stuff. Yep. So we just got to be on Good the lookout point, for that stuff. Um, thanks, Garen. Well, I'm living the brokenness over here. So, yeah, you know, it's... We all are. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the brokenness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that could be the name of our podcast. Welcome to the brokenness. <laughs> nobody, nobody would listen to that. Yeah, then, yeah. So then you go into Nehemiah's response to these things. So verses four, let's just, let's take them one at a time. So verses four through six, Nehemiah responds to the ridicule of Sinbala and these people. And it's this prayer to God. He, he prays to God and then he gets right back to work. And then presses on. Yep, which like, we, yep. we love about this guy. Yeah. That he is so focused on prayer and going right to God with things. And then he's about it and he just gets to work. Yeah. And if you could describe Nehemiah with two things, for me, it would probably be he's a man of prayer, he's a man of action. Uh-huh, yes. He just gets right back to yep. it, which I love. But I, I got a question, Garen, because you you did the you did the pastor thing. I did the yesterday. pastor. I totally did the pastor. You thing. breezed over some stuff that's not that's not pretty. And so this we're talking about in verses four and five in Nehemiah's response to God. He he has some uh, not very gracious request to God. Yeah. Right. He, so he's talking to God about his enemies and he says, God, um, he says, don't blot out their sin. But then he says something even before that. He says like, just plunder those guys. Right. And don't blot out their sin. In other words, I want them going to hell. That's essentially what he's saying. So he prays for their destruction, not just here on earth, but in eternity. Yeah. So that's what we're supposed to do, right? If I don't, that's the, if I don't vote like somebody else, I'm uh supposed to pray for their their damnation. Is that it? Yeah. Is that the recipe that's here? The, yeah, that's the, that's <laughs> uh, the last part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount that we always skip over. Where, oh, you know, yeah. When Jesus talks about, yeah, pray that your enemies would be plundered yes, right. and die and go to hell. Okay, we know that's not the answer. So, Garen, what the heck is going on here, man? Yeah, I didn't get to address it. And I hate you. What you say is funny because I dislike it when you read a commentary or you're in a sermon, you're like, they're skipping over the thing that I have the biggest question about. And that wasn't intentional. I was really, I worked, I was editing a lot of stuff last week here. Actually, Andy Stanley had a great two pages on this in his book, Visioneering that I almost quoted him, but he essentially what he says is he says, that's the best 
place. And I kind of preach this in precatory prayer. It's the best place to take things actually is to God. And he's like, that guy's in the heat of the moment, big project. And these are real threats and ridicule going on. And he said, just the pressure on him. And he said, and he goes, his response is always, I'm going immediately to prayer. So his emotions are high, right? And his response is, I'm immediately going to pray. So his emotions are really wired. And he's just saying what he feels. And he said, the thing we take away from it isn't the content. What it is, is that that I just need to, that, that the only safe place to take how I really feel sometimes in the initial hot moment, like that, they always say, write, write your email and then delete it. In fact, mm-hmm. I heard somebody the other day say, delete your first five. Yeah. Because the first thing you write is going to have a lot of emotion in it. And I heard Lincoln would do that often. Did you ever hear that? No. That Lincoln would do that. He would write letters to people who was really upset with. Oh, yes, I have. Away. And then he would, yeah. And then he would throw them away. Yeah. And then his next one, would, yeah that that's kind of what he's doing. And he said, what most people do is you'll either take it out on the enemy or you'll take it home and take it out on the family or you'll take it out on the workers. Like it comes, it spills out on them. And yeah, the best place to take my, those feelings in those times is go to God immediately. It's going to be high emotion. God wants an honest relationship with me, right? He knows how I feel. He wants the intimacy that I can talk to him. And so I, I just, I blob it out, you know, not blob. I just vomit it to him. And I leave, and then you leave it there, and you're like, you take care of this. So is this kind of like the Psalms? It's not really a prescription of, of pray this way, but it's just a description of how, yeah, of how David was feeling, yeah, of how, and it's just yep. his honest feelings as creator. So is this a little peek into the prayer life of Nehemiah, where he was doing that same thing, yes, same thing, and just, oh God, I'm so frustrated. I'm like, yeah, he said vomit. I'm gonna word vomit this out all over, and you know. You take care of it. I know you're big enough to handle it. You can handle it. And so God's not saying pray this way, but we're just getting an, an yeah. intimate look at the prayer life right. of Nehemiah. So very good. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. And if there's anything prescriptive about it, it's that I need to take my honest heart to God. Yeah. And immediately, because that's what he does. It's the first thing he does. So yeah, you know, later he might've had the prayer like, okay, Lord, I didn't quite mean it that hard. We just don't know. But that's what's going on with that. Okay. That's interesting. And then we see the the response of Nehemiah in verse nine, when he's responding to the threat, the attack of Sanballat and the others. And this, there's a cool shift that you pointed out here. Yeah. It's really neat because Nehemiah didn't pray. We prayed. They, yeah, we, they prayed. So as a group now, they are assuming the prayer habits of Nehemiah, right? Yeah. That something dangerous is going on. And so we're going to go to God with it, which is a really cool just little like nugget that maybe on the first read through you don't get. Yeah. But when you're doing this word study, like you kind of got yeah. us doing. When you're focusing on it's words. It's easy to pick that stuff yeah. up. So that was really cool. So once again, in typical Nehemiah fashion, they pray and then they get to work. And they, then they act. They post yep. a guard. Let's post a guard. Yep. Okay. We're going to be attacked. So let's not just sit here and have 80 deacon meetings about it. Yeah. Let's like do something about it. Right. So. And, and I just love his practicality, Jordan, because some people think there are some Christians who think if you post a guard, that means you don't trust God. Oh. And there's people who think if if you pray, you're not practical. And to me, he just marries both of those. He yeah. says, "I'm gonna. Tr- I I can trust God and be practical both. I right. can be a man of faith and action." Yeah. And so I think there's people on two extremes with Christianity on those sides, and that's what I love about Nehemiah is he keeps telling me, "Interesting. Live in the tension. Yeah, live in the tension between those things it's because they're just, not against each other. It's not just thoughts and prayers. We're going to do something about it. Yeah." But we're not going to do that thing until we pray. Yeah. So yeah, it's a perfect yeah. marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Verse six, we learn that the wall is now at half its height, that they have built the wall up halfway, which I forget how tall you said these walls were. About 12 to 15 feet. So they may be at six-ish feet. You're at least, yeah. Six, seven feet now. Um, so about about our height. 
and probably Ian Coleman the whole, probably six, seven. Yeah, probably. That's yeah, probably about. Ian, Kieran, that's yeah. probably where they were at. Yeah. yeah, Kieran. They had the tall Israelites out there <laughs> to measure. Um, so we know it's at halfway. And you said something about the second half just being tougher. Yeah. So in verse 10, when it says that they're, they're like their strengths giving out and okay. that that's probably, that's why, that's why these details are so important. Like, why would he say halfway? Well, when you get to verse 10, you're like, ah, that's why. Because there is that hump of when you, in the first part of a project, you, you know, yesterday we talked about support raising. And when you do support raising, they always tell you in the training, the first 50%. Getting to 50% is relatively easy. Mm-hmm. You'll get all the people that want to support you right away mm-hmm. and that are excited to know you. When you hit 50%, it becomes a slog until about 75 and then it, se- it seems to end faster. And that's, that's how everything is, is when you get over that, fifth, that halfway point, you kind of lose the vision. It's not as fun anymore. And that's why he put that detail in there. That's why they were losing their strength is mm. they, were, they had just crossed the halfway threshold. I really like that you said that from the stage because that's one of those things that we feel in the seats. And it's just nice to have you kind of validate that from the pulpit a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah it's okay that we're frustrated and things and the second half of things is really hard sometimes. Uh-huh. Yes. Because church isn't this place where like, we're happy and joyful no matter what. And like, right. we're living this idealistic faith. It's yep. like, you know, life is hard. We can look that in the face yep. and realize it. Nia, Nia Maya, I just nicknamed him Nia. Nia. Yeah, Nia saw that all the time and we can see his response to it wasn't just to, uh, you know, put on he a happy face yeah. and everything's good. Yeah, or he didn't lash out at them. Like, what's wrong with you? Right. Like, start cracking the whip. Yeah. He, so, he knew what they needed is they need a little motivational talk, which we'll get to in a minute. Because being a restorer is hard work. It is hard work. We were doing prayer requests in a group last week and I asked somebody, you know, what we could pray for. And they were really honest and they just said, truthfully, it's just really hard being a restorer because you're in broken places yes. a lot. Yes. And it just wears on me. Yes. And I thought, whoa, yeah. I need to be that honest with myself sometimes because um, the work is hard. I had somebody at the fish fry pull me aside and they said, I'm around some very broken places and broken people. And they said, I'm, it just wears on you. And they wanted some, some thoughts on it. Yeah, so you're right. It is, it is hard work and yeah. it's worth it, but it's hard. And you're going to hit the hump sometimes and that's okay. Yeah. It's just, what do you do with it? And right. that's what I love about Nehemiah is he knew what to do with it. And your advice was just, well, quit going to K-State football games if you don't want to be around brokenness. Yeah, I mean, if you. It's easy. <laughs> yes. Just, just wait for uh, the Mecca of Allen Fieldhouse and you'll be good. So yeah. they probably wouldn't and like that advice. They, yeah, probably wouldn't. No, wouldn't, probably wouldn't, wouldn't like that advice. Landed. Okay, verse 14, Nehemiah lays out this vision for the people. You said it was kind of threefold. One, don't be afraid. Two, remember the Lord. And three, be willing to fight. Um, I don't just want to breeze over these because I think they're really good, even though they seem kind of obvious. You know, don't be afraid, obviously. Uh, easy to say, hard to live out. Hard to live out. When there are people looking yes. and you know there's another side that's plotting to destroy you. Yeah. And not only do you have to try and stay safe and keep your family safe, but you're also, oh yeah, trying to build a 15-foot wall, uh-huh. right? Yes. Like, so it's easy to say, don't be afraid, but to really like live that out yeah. is a whole other thing. Yeah. I think that maybe we don't connect this one much in our culture because we don't really have a lot to be afraid of with our faith. No one is living in fear. Yeah. So how do we make that real sitting here in Emporia where, where there's like a 0% chance we're going to face persecution and we're not really afraid for our faith? How does that land home for yeah. us? Well, you know what I think actually is, and when I was thinking about all this, I was thinking about, we even have some students here from Nigeria who know people, who know churches that have been 
where there have been killings there. That's the highest persecuted country right now with deaths mm-hmm. last year. Um, yeah, they're facing real threat, and a lot of us aren't. But I think a lot of us, if we sat down and talked with a lot of people, even not just up people, I think you and I, is our greatest fear is ridicule. Mm. And like, if I really, if I let people know Jesus is the center of my life, or if I try to share, or if I take somebody to coffee, what are they going to think? People are so afraid. All of us. What are people going to think of me? Are they going to, you know, they're going to be ridiculing me in their mind. And that fear of ridicule keeps, I think, a lot of us from living in their stores. So I just feel like this whole chapter is even helpful with that. Hmm. But okay. a lot of us live there, right? We're yeah. afraid of the ridicule. Right? We've got real low level. You're, you're right. In our culture, low level of all of this. But it's out there to a degree. And I think a lot of it's in our head that we're afraid. Of. Mm. I'm afraid somebody okay. will think something funny of me. Yeah, right. Okay. And it keeps us out of the game. Yeah, it often does. That's really helpful. The second one, to remember the Lord. Um, so right here, are you just saying basically like, don't try and do it on your own. Remember that this is actually God's thing and that he's the author and perfecter Yeah, I think that it. is his thing. And I think it's remembering, it's like, okay, because in that fear moment, you're thinking, I'm, we're toast. And it's like, no, wait, no, he delivered us from Egypt through the mm. Red Sea. Oh, he, through yeah. Joshua, gave us the land. Remember he, what he's done for during us. During Judges, you know, 12 different times sent somebody. Through David, established a kingdom. Through Okay. So and, remember and what God's like done Remembering for you. he has done yeah. things. So I don't need to be afraid because he's come to my aid before. Yeah. So it's a good kind of follow-up to that. Like, don't be afraid. He just doesn't leave it there. He's like, remember, like, recount what's God done for you. Yeah. And this next one, I don't know, sounds a little tricky to me, but be ready, be willing to fight. You know, being willing to fight, being willing to, in this context, like have a spear and stab somebody. I know. It's like, that's not really what we think of when we think of like, you know, the direction coming from our spiritual leaders. But here he's saying that. He's like, be ready to fight. You got to defend yourself. Yeah. So I don't know. How do you reconcile that? That's kind of wild. It's just, it was the reality of where they were living in that time, that they were, they were innate. The people of God was a nation. And there were people coming against them, and that was just part of, yeah, it's it's almost like uh, William Wallace, his speech right before the, you know, will you fight for your freedom, right? Just that, like, let's go kill some people. That's kind of what he's saying. Like, hey, it's so spiritual. You know, don't be afraid. Remember God. <laughs> right. Kill some people. Yeah, right. Like, whoa, <laughs> that's a little intense. But, and they don't end up doing it. But yeah, he says, fight for your family. Fight for your home. He's like, he really it rallies may, the troops. It may come to that. Yeah. And are you willing, you know, is it worth the sacrifice? Are you willing to do it? That's and good. So that's what it is. It's like, to me, it's like, uh, are you willing to sacrifice for this? And yeah. He gets them rallied. And then in verse 15, just next, next verse, we read that God is the one that frustrated the plan of Israel's enemies. And so they can return to work. And I just thought that was so, so key that it wasn't the planning of Nehemiah. It wasn't the strength of the people. It wasn't the strategy. It was really God who... Protected the people. And that that verse says that they, the the opponents realize that. And that's why I thought early in the chapter, it's like, oh, it's their wall. It's their thing. Mm. And then by the time you get the end of the chapter, they're like, there's more going on than just humans in this. There's, their God is with them. Yeah. And it's really obvious. And yeah, that's cool that they came to that realization. And then for the rest of this chapter, 16 to 23, we kind of read about this new norm, right? This new way they're doing it because pre-attack, they could just kind of go, they're, go they're, build the wall. Yeah, they're building a wall. They're Guys would go thing. home outside the city at night. Yeah. See their families, have supper. Right. And, you know, post-attack, there's just a whole new way to do things. 
And so it's not like they're, you know, Nehemiah says, well, we'll try this for a week or so. And then if it's okay, we'll go back to the way it's like, nope, we've got a new way to do things. And so this is the new way that we operate, which was like you said, staying inside the city at all times. Yep. Getting up earlier, staying up later. Right. Never taking your clothes off, being ready for battle, having your sword at your side all the time. Um, Just like these upped security measures, probably some new people getting recruited to be like, defenders and warriors now, yeah, right? You know, you were on brick duty, but uh-huh. now we need you to yes. step up. Yep. So get the right. spear and being willing to change your job kind of on the fly. Yeah. So do you want your perfume makers like handling swords? The perfume the makers priest. were not uh, the defenders. <laughs> I'm sure they were, they got upgraded to the, to the, to the brick guy. Oh, they're the brick. They're, yeah. they're like, you're totally on brick duty. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> Baby steps for those perfume makers and the priests. You don't want to give the priests any. You don't want to give priests weapon. Yeah, yeah that would be that'd be disastrous. They don't, that, that'd be like the first part of Mulan when they're training the warriors, and it's just a joke. It's like, yeah, that yeah. would be the. It'd the be priests. total three stooges. Yeah, you give people in vocational ministry a weapon. It's it really it's a disaster. It wouldn't be good. Okay, so at the end here, you kind of brought it to a head. We are living as restorers, and so there's two things you asked us to chew on, and I really love these. One, there's going to be times where we lose our strength, which yep. is like my friend who uh-huh. asked for the prayer request. So true. And I hadn't stopped to give thought to it, but it was it was very real. So we're going to lose our strength as restorers because we are around brokenness. And the number two, that we're going to face opposition. So, and what were those words of Jesus? Don't act afraid when people come against you in my name, right? Like, yeah. I know he hadn't said those words yet here in Nehemiah, but for our case, uh, yeah, why do we act so surprised yeah. when it's why hard we, to follow yeah. Jesus? I mean, doesn't he say that? To follow me means if you really follow me, you will have opposition of some kind. Yeah. It will be the norm. And yeah, we we live in such a culture, we don't feel that that much. That, um, Yeah, I think we can get a little bit surprised about that. Or we'll call things opposition that uh, kind of cultural opposition. But uh, yeah, he's talking more about personal, so. And then um, you, you kind of brought it to a head here at the end and you said, the goal of the enemy is really to distract us from, from what God has for yeah, us. Distract us from God and divert us from the mission. These uh, discouragements and these, these threats, they're really all aimed at the end goal yep. of getting our eyes off of God and getting our hands away from the work. Yep. And so that was your, your kind of parting words to us here is we got to keep our eyes on God. We got to keep our hands to the work, keep our hands to the plow and just re- resolve to not be distracted. By these things. Yeah. Once again, there. remembering that these things that happen on a on a physical level are really just manifestations of a bigger enemy. And so not even to get distracted by the um what's it called? The the discouragement itself. Because it's one thing to be affected by the mm-hmm. discouragement or by the fear, but it's mm-hmm. another thing to say, I'm not gonna let that stop me, but then get so obsessed with the person that brought it. Yes. Right. You know, that's like a whole other weapon yeah, the enemy brings. You right. can see it. And that's part of that, to me, that distracting and diverting is, is if he can get your eye on the enemy yeah. or the opponent, if you can get your focus there. That's why Nehemiah's prayer of like, God, you know, send him to hell. I mean, he just gives this emotional vomit, right? But he then he's done with it and it's off his plate and he's back to God and the task. Like, yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. That was kind of a light bulb moment for me there that we can get so, we can think we've won. We can be like, wow, take that enemy. I'm uh-huh. not dissuaded in any way. I'm not fearful. I'm not discouraged. And, but we actually lose because we take our focus off of God and put it on the one that brought that. And Uh it's like, oh man, I'm going to direct all my anger and disdain for this thing. Now Satan's like, well, I still win because you took your eyes off God. 
and it takes you, and you're giving all your energy to that enemy instead of the mission. And yeah. it's, it's an all around win for him. Yeah, man. He is so shrewd, isn't he? It would be a real shame if that happened in like politics or something like that. You know, like yeah. if we just demonized each other for being different. Like we would or, ever or if anybody that. like, you know, worshiped differently than us or had different tradition than us and we got distracted. That would be a real shame. Yeah. It's Actually, a- Jordan, I talked about that like three years ago when I talked about how we respond to our culture. And I talked about that it's easy to, you, you can spend three hours a day on whatever media, Fox News or whatever media is your preferred thing and getting all riled up about that. And that's time you're not inviting yeah. a neighbor to I your house that for message. supper, right? Garen, I was so, oh man, I wanted, I wanted to come back for the second helping of that one because that was such a good, good yeah. message. And that's us. what he yeah. does. If, if I can get you so embroiled in the battle yes, that you lose track of the mission and God and you're not living proactively, but you're living reactively. Right. And see, all this stuff was off the cut, was on the cutting room floor from this week. Huh. But yeah, that's what he wants is me to be a reactor and not a, you know, I'm a therm, I'm a thermometer. A reactor, not a restorer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's another one. You Dang, need to, dude. We're just, we're, we're going to be cranking out t-shirts here. <laughs> it's going to be good stuff. But you're right. That's what his eyes. He wants your focus off of God and off the mission. Right. And man, especially if he can get us attacking the enemy. So it's not just about not being discouraged or not being afraid. It's about really ultimately keeping your eyes on the right thing. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very last thought that I wrote down. And I don't know if this is in your slides or not, but I wrote it down at the end because it really spoke to me. Um, just this idea that I have got to stop trying to prevent opposition because it's going to happen in my life. Mm-hmm. And so often in ministry, especially, but in other parts of my life too, I can spend way too much mental energy trying to think like, how do I thwart my enemies? How do I outsmart them? How do I, you know, how do I resist this opposition that's trying to come against me? And it's like, the opposition is going to come. So to try and spend your energy on stopping it is so futile. Let's just learn how to navigate it well, yeah. like Nehemiah, to go to God in prayer and then to be people of action and to create a new norm around that opposition, right? Yeah. So anyways, for me, really useful. And it, it reminded me where my mental energy needs to be spent and where it probably shouldn't be spent. Yep. That's very practical and very true. Okay. I agree with that. All right. You mentioned the cutting room floor a lot on this one. Anything else that you left out that you wanted to go back and? No, and um, I think we kind of hit there was just a minute ago we brought up a subject and a quote that I left off just pop, but it's not still there. But there, it's just so rich. I'm looking at, I'm like, these all should be two sermons. These chapters are so rich. Um, and I, I love this one because I think God, we were talking for and I think God intentionally put that in there. What well, we did at the beginning because he knows we're going to have opposition. And so how do you deal with it? And Nehemiah's example is so great that it never becomes his primary focus. Yeah. And he's so great at that. And he has such great faith in God. And just, he's like, I'm just keeping to the task. And it's like, I'm going to beat you on the football field. You can say whatever you want Monday to fr- Saturday, Monday to Friday, but on Saturday in the field, I'm just giving my focus to this and yeah. we'll meet you there and see what happens kind of thing. So very good. Look ahead to chapter five. And I mean, I'm excited for it. Well, yeah. I mean, you've read ahead, you know, but now all of a sudden, Anytime you're on mission with God, it's not just the outside that causes it's problems. The inside. Then it gets inside the community. No. And that is even more effective, I feel like. Yep, it is. Isn't it? If it he is. can undermine the community and we get at each other, yep. then he's wrecked the whole thing. So, man, he is, Satan is so strategic. Lots of tricks. Lots of tricks, but really one remedy eyes on Jesus. Yeah, right? eyes on Jesus. And that. Uh huh. That's what Peter would tell yeah. us. When Eyes on Jesus eyes and Jesus. eyes on the mission. You sink. Yeah. 
keeping Jesus first and foremost and what he's about. And if I'm doing that, then I'm I'm not focused on all this peripheral stuff. Maybe as you're teaching next week, it would be useful to think like, through that lens. Cause even if you're not sure what five is going to say, as Garen gets ready to read through it and teach us next Sunday, if you're, if you're like, okay, I'm going to look at through, through, I'm going to look at this through the lens of if I had my eyes on Jesus, could this still happen? Probably not, you know? And so every issue that comes up, it's like, man, if I just stayed focused on the main thing, yeah, these things wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't be issues. So, okay. little sneak peek guys. Thanks for being with us. Nehemiah four. Um, Better than Nehemiah 3. Well, not better, but like easier easier to read for sure. Yeah, easier, easier to read. But even this one, if you read it, you're like, what? I mean, because it's stuff we don't, a lot of stuff we don't deal with. Yeah. But the big idea though, we do deal with. Right. Every. Eyes on every the prize. Church. Yep. Keep your eyes on the prize. Okay. All right, guys. We'll see you here next week. We'll do it again.